Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking taxes. More specifically, we're talking about crypto and the super nuanced rules regarding which types of crypto transactions are taxable and how they should be reported. As anyone who's ever bought and sold any sort of digital asset in the last couple of years can attest, the rules and regulations around reporting those transactions to the IRS can be very fuzzy. Coupled with the lack of information made available by the IRS itself and the lack of general knowledge and adoption of crypto by the accounting community, it can be very tough for investors to make heads or tails of it all. At best, you manage to stumble across a couple of really helpful Twitter posts or YouTube explainer videos offering solid tidbits of information that may or may not be directly applicable to your individual circumstances. But at worst, you may make a mistake in your reporting of those transactions in one year that ultimately open you up to returns from previous years, and those get scrutinized as well. Then you find yourself in the middle of a full-blown audit with no idea how you got there. So while the rules around crypto and the necessary tax reporting may still be fuzzy, the IRS's intent to collect on what they deem to be their fair share is not, And since I myself happen to be what I refer to as a crypto skeptic, but a blockchain enthusiast, that means I don't know. I don't own any digital assets personally, which means I'm also by no means the expert here. So I decided to call up someone who is and have a conversation. My guest, Micah Frame, is the founder of Frame, Cawley and Company. Micah is a certified public accountant. And in addition to his practice where he works with small business owners on preparing tax returns and offering more advanced tax planning, he is also a self-proclaimed crypto enthusiast, so much so that he recently published a book on the subject titled Decrypting Crypto Taxes. So needless to say, the guy knows his stuff, and this should be a pretty interesting conversation. So with that brief introduction, welcome Micah Frame to the Tech Money Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Really glad to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time to uh, to join us. And I, I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro there. What else should I have included? I mean, I'm never one for long self-aggrandizing intros, but I mean, that's the main thing is that we're CPAs. We've really focused on people throughout my career, at least we've focused on people who have very dynamic situations, largely just because I get bored really easily. Mm-hmm. So when we first started out, you're taking on whatever business you can you can possibly get in the door. I found after a couple of years, I got a little frustrated having the same conversations every every year, feeling like everyone we were dealing with had very similar situations and they never changed. So that's one of the reasons why we deal largely either with online businesses or people who have very like growth-centric businesses where they're constantly changing and one of the things that really attracted me to crypto is that good or bad, this is absolutely the wild west right now. And it is mm-hmm. very, very rapidly changing. You said we CPAs and that made me think I'm kind of surprised you haven't been kicked out of the CPA community or yeah. at least kicked out of tax Twitter since half the stuff I see online uh, that you've thrown out there is like attacking the CPA community for not understanding crypto and not being willing to understand it and so forth and so on, which I'm sure we'll get into to some degree. But I, I chuckled at that 
um, when I saw it's kind of like a counter countercultural uh, approach to the. Well, I mean, again, I say this as a CPA, but I almost sometimes joke that I'm a business person who stumbled into this and became a CPA on accident just because I think there's this is what I've dedicated my life to. Clearly, I think there's merit in it and a lot of value, but I think there's a huge disconnect between what CPAs could be and what we're supposed to be and what actually happens in practice. I think a lot of times it ends up being glorified data entry versus what we present ourselves to be and what we should be. And that's Mm -hmm. advisors and people who can help consult and plan with their clients. Hey man, you said it. You're you're preaching to the choir and don't even know it. That's one of the the recurring themes on this side. Uh, focusing more on tax planning versus tax prep, mm-hmm. and and you know being forward looking. But I won't uh, I won't take too much of an opportunity to uh, to beat up on my friends who are CPAs uh, again because you know so many of our episodes in the past have have been dedicated to that but on a similar note like as I'm reading to get prepared for this episode and to talk to you uh, I read online that you believe people should be taking advantage of the crypto winter that we find ourselves in specifically to save on their taxes which I thought was really interesting it's probably a good way to to segue in can you say a little bit more about that yeah so there can the big thing that will t- when people think about taxes they they mostly don't want to think about it because it's so boring mm-hmm. but the mistake that we'll find and this is especially true for crypto investors because they're so there's a mix of being ADD and like a little bit of shiny object syndrome, but more than that, it's just that they are re- they're really looking for things with high yields, things that move really quickly. Mm-hmm. So when they do deign to think about their tax bill, it's usually in the vein of when they made a bunch of money. It's when they've had a real, really great trade, the market is hopping, and then they realize, okay, I've got all this income and I need to do some sort of planning for that. But weirdly, this crypto winner that we're in is one of the best, if not immediate tax savings things, the the best long-term opportunities we have to save on your tax bill. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the easiest one to point to just as a specific strategy is the just tax loss harvesting. Yeah, yeah. Because... There, there's a couple things that go into that. One, you just have the regular benefit of tax loss harvesting that crypto, I'm trying to think in 2021, 20, Bitcoin hit around 60, 70,000. Now it's hovering at 20 ish. So, especially because we all have this tendency to start investing in things during a bull market and when we shouldn't, there's a lot of people who are really underwater on their investments right now. Mm hmm. So you can you can have it to where the example I'll give is let's say you you had a decent little nest egg that you wanted to invest and you bought 10 bitcoin when they were $60,000. Mm-hmm. Well now you've got an unrealized $400,000 capital loss that if you don't do anything and you just wait for the market to recover then that's fine. There's no no problem with that. But the benefit that we have in crypto specifically is that it's not subject to the wash sale rules. Hmm. Okay. At least for now. That. that that's something. I mean, there there's a little bit of a caveat to that. That the the past year or two, they've had some 
there have been some legislation that has been proposed, or at least members of Congress who have discussed needing to cl- close that loophole, but it hasn't happened yet. So at least as the rules exist now, crypto is classified as a property, not a a security, and thereby you're not subject to the wash sale rules. So you don't even have to worry about either using the more advanced things that financial advisors will do to keep your market exposure or just exiting the market for 30 days mm-hmm. you can sell you can sell your losing positions and buy them back the same day and still then have a realized capital loss yeah. which again yeah. people will kind of not place a lot of importance on because they say well I, didn't, I haven't made anything else this year but again thinking about long a longer term horizons that we're looking at it might not save you a ton of money this year, but next year in the next five, 10 years, since those losses are just going to carry forward, mm-hmm. the savings can be significant. You're making me realize we probably should start from the from the very beginning. Um, right. I yeah, didn't probably. ask you a question about how crypto is actually taxed today. And I recognize that part of the reason that we're in this problem, we're, we're having this problem where folks are having trouble finding quali- quality advice and so few practitioners in the accounting world who can give it or even want to give it is because everything is so new and, you know, still in flux. But I think it makes sense to just, you know, kind of paint the picture of how crypto trades are even taxed today, right? Sure. From what you're saying, I think I already know the answer, but are they seen as a capital asset the same way a stock is, or is there some other special treatment for them? Right now, and this is, again, everything is in in flux right now, good good or bad. Because one of the things we'll talk about is the IRS has only issued specific guidance on like five different things. They've said that if you do a coin for coin trade, like you're selling your Bitcoin and getting Ethereum back, mm-hmm. that those coin, those trades are taxable. They, it, it doesn't matter when you cash out to fiat. It's that each of those individual transactions is a taxable event. They've said that if you are mine, if you you're Bitcoin mining or any sort of other proof of work mining operation, that that's classified as business income. They've said that you can't do 1031 like kind exchanges on crypto or any other intangible asset for that matter. Cannot. Cannot. Okay. Correct. Okay. And then they've said that hard forks and airdrops are taxable events. And they've said you don't need to do FBAR, the foreign bank account reporting for your crypto wallets. That's it. So there's so much going on and that has been going on crypto for years now. They haven't met. They haven't talked about m- most of the newer protocols are what they call proof of stake. And so there's staking income as rewards from that. They haven't issued any guidance on staking. They haven't talked mm-hmm. about NFTs. They haven't talked about these this ever expanding use case for blockchain technology. And therein these income earning the potential to earn income these different ways. They haven't talked about any of it. What about NFTs, right? Are those treated the same as crypto or do those have some other special carve out? Well, again, what we the caveat we have to say with basically everything aside from those five items is that we don't have specific guidance, Okay, but based on the other guidance the IRS has issued on crypto or on something that seems analogous within traditional investing or in business, we say this is what we think is going to happen. So for NFTs, those get 
get tricky because one, the IRS hasn't said anything specific about them. But the other thing is that NFTs can represent a wide variety of things and different use cases for them. So what everyone thinks about when they talk about NFTs is a board ape or a crypto punk or one of these basically profile picture mm-hmm. JPEG um, NFTs. So when you look at the the substance of those those NFTs, you say you look at the criteria for for other types of transactions, and they're most analogous to collectibles. And what happens when you sell regular collectibles is that they're taxed at the the greater or the, the lesser of either your regular short short-term capital gains rates or at 28% instead of the regular 20 a maximum of 20% you have for regular capital assets. Mm-hmm. So that's the case for a lot of NFTs out there because most of them are just based on their their rarity and, and collectability. But NFTs can be a lot, a lot of different things. I'm a member of a Discord group where the way that I got membership into the Discord group is by owning the NFT. And the the membership is for a finite period of time. At the end of 2022, that NFT will no longer grant me access to that Discord group. And I'm, I'm going to be kicked out unless I buy the new one. So even though I'm bu- buying in that theory... genius. Yeah, it's pretty... I mean, peop, the people in the space are really into Damn that. near diabolical. I mean, that <laughs> is... That is Sorry, my 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 gears are turning. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's pretty wild. But what's what's crazy is that so for that one, even though in theory I bought an intangible asset, that's not mm-hmm. a collectible. That that's me really just that's a mechanism for me to buy a subscription or a membership with a yep. finite life to it. We'll talk about how one of the things that got me interested in crypto because. You know, a long, long time ago when I was younger and had time, I'd play a lot of video games and online video games. And now they've got video games that are not only powered by nodes or are running on the blockchain, mm-hmm. but they have them to where the in-game items are NFTs. They, and and for playing the games, you can actually earn a small amount of cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. They call them play-to-earn games. So let's say you're playing one of these games and you're playing the example i'll give is let's say you're playing a world of warcraft ripoff or something and you can buy a piece of land you can buy a building that you run a tavern out of you can buy a hatchet that degrades over like a month or based on however many swipes you have on it and you've you've got a sword and then you've got a piece of digital art that you hang in your your house well if those were the real world equivalents of those assets, they would all be taxed very, very differently. You know, the land wouldn't depreciate all the building would depreciate over 40 years. And you'd have some of that into the quote unquote real world from, from earning it inside of a game. Some of them, they have a tangible asset that's tied to it, but typically this is just the, the main thing these are is that you have, the NFT or the intangible asset on the blockchain, and then you're able to use them within the game itself. I see. I see. Okay. And in those games, they they pay you. You you earn same way you would if you're playing World of Warcraft or RuneScape or any of these games where you're getting gold gold within the game. Mm-hmm. Instead of paying you gold, they'll pay you in cryptocurrency. 
It, now, it, there, there's very there's issues with that because most of those end up being sort of unintentional Ponzi schemes where they end up <laughs> skyrocketing in value and then just crashing down. It's happened for most of them so far. Yeah. So uh, we we have warnings on those because I think there, there's a lot of issues they need to work out within those sort of in-game economies before they're they're viable investment strategies. But NFTs become become tricky because what I think is going to happen is that the IRS, whenever they do issue guidance, they're going to say, okay, well, either this is just an intangible asset that you can't expense or amortize over time at all, or they might say, well, you can amortize it over like 15 years. And I think there's going to be a lot of litigation where people say, yeah, this is an intangible asset, but look at the substance of how I'm using this NFT and what it's getting me. And the ones that are granting me access to the Discord server for six months need to be taxed very differently than the profile picture JPEG type ones. Yeah. is what we're we're guessing is going to happen. It's going to just be a lot of litigation over the next decade or two to to iron that out. It's yeah, and a lot of private letter rulings that you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, create a, a, another gigantic ream of paper just based on uh, crypto assets. But it seems to me like it's like really easy to run afoul of irs regulations here as i'm hearing you talk you know regarding all digital digital assets because they're still very new and you know very nuanced and hard to understand is there a website or a trusted source that you look to in order to stay up on all these changes as they happen um we're mostly just tracking there there's not a lot of updates that are coming from the irs itself the irs has issued their limited guidance but what we're mostly seeing from the irs side and this is part of the problem is that because it's such a wide array of different use cases and it's such an emergent market the irs mostly seems like they're just trying to kick the can down the road and wait for congress to actually issue actual guidance for them yeah because the irs is much happier just enforcing the rules that Congress passes versus trying to come up with their own interpretations, those getting litigated in court, possibly being overturned. They're a lot happier to saying, hey, here's here's the actual legislation that we're enforcing. Um, we're seeing that right now with with staking income. There is a case in Tennessee where a couple had staking income, filed their tax return, paid the tax, and now are suing the IRS trying to not only get a refund of that money, but also get concrete guidance from the IRS on how this should be taxed. Um, and the IRS has tried to just offer them, a, give them a settlement offer, obviously non-binding and non-precedent um, setting, and the couple didn't take it. And now the IRS is trying to get the case dismissed, saying, hey, we offered them a settlement. So mm -hmm. the, the point is null and void. They're just trying to get it to go away so that they're not, I, I think at least, so that they're not the ones who are having to litigate all this nonsense. So there's not a lot coming from the IRS itself where we'll usually we're just like subscribing to Law 360 and things like that that are really keeping up with the the litigation as it's um as it's emerging and the different the different court cases and sort of attorneys takes on where things are looking so, so that's it but that's like it's like premium premium content and very niche um 
niche sources that we look for. There's not like a great one-stop shop that you can find this stuff at. Hey there, listeners. It's Eric with an A. And I'm interrupting the show for just a moment to tell you about our newest offering, the Tech Money Guide to Restricted Stock Units. This guide was developed to teach those who are paid in RSUs to develop a plan for how and when to convert those shares into actual dollars, as well as how to incorporate them into your overall personal financial plan. You may have already heard episode 50 where Malcolm described the guide in detail, as well as his own philosophy and rules of thumb when it comes to managing this valuable form of equity compensation. If you haven't, no problem. We would still encourage you to head on over to tech-money.com and download a free copy of the guide today. There's also a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Again, that web address is tech-money.com, and you can download a free copy of the guide right there from the homepage. In keeping with the promise of this show, our hope is that the Tech Money Guide to Restricted Stock Units helps make you just a little smarter about your money. Now back to the show. I was going to say, so it basically sounds like Sam, uh, what's his name, Bankman Freed gets to keep writing his own rules as far as staking is concerned for the time being uh, until yeah. the, the government figures out a way to, to catch up and actually do something about it. But uh, what if I happen to be, you know, one of the early adopters, speaking of uh, Bankman Freed, like say I bought into my position in Bitcoin or something else well before the IRS added that box to the top of the 1040 that allows me to self-report my transactions. Is there a, a grace period still available to get on the right side of right? Or do I just cross my fingers and pray at this point that, you know, they don't figure it out? I mean, it depends on the scope of the tra the transaction as much as anything. I mean, it depends on what type of income you're earning and, and how much you're earning. Because obviously the... If it's of anything of consequence, you want to try to correct correct that, assuming it's not past the statute of limitations where you can't even amend, and then you're just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping they don't they don't look further back than you're than you're able to fix. But it, it also just does depend on the scope. If you ended up ha trading Bitcoin and you made you had a hundred dollar trade or something, I'm not super worried about it, and the IRS isn't super inclined to to go through the the hassle of discussing that with you yeah but we do see um i think they call them it's either i think i think they call them dear john letters where they'll they'll set send stuff out to taxpayers who meet specific criteria and we saw that with coinbase back i think it was either 2016 2015 or 2016 transactions it was like three or four years later, the IRS sued Coinbase and got or at least pressured them to to hand over these documents where I think it was anyone who had over $20,000 of transactions within that year. Mm -hmm. They all got letters from the IRS saying, hey, we think you had crypto activity that you didn't report it. You need to or, or we're going to have to investigate ourselves. Yeah. So. In my day job as a, a financial planner, one of the biggest challenges I've identified already just from the small handful of our firm's clients who are like serious crypto investors is that it's really tough to track your transactions if you're not on an exchange or a platform like a Coinbase, like you mentioned. Like, do you mm -hmm. have any recommendations for how to track your crypto activity, especially, you know, across multiple digital wallets? Yeah, we have a we have a couple we will suggest, but we always we always have sort of this caveat of that 
clearly tracking crypto is not an easy solution to to fix because otherwise these tech companies who are associated with crypto or behind these projects would solve the problem if it was an easy one to solve. But even the good tracking software programs that we'll suggest, they still feel like they're in beta testing a lot of times. Like it, it you need, you almost have to use one because one, if you're not on a centralized exchange, so much of this information isn't trying like if you're on a, if you're on a true DeFi platform and you're on just on a decentralized exchange you can theoretically try to track all of that by going to your wallet address and pulling up the gas fees and the value of the crypto at the point of the tra- the transaction all all of that stuff but it's it's astoundingly arduous to do that and there's a real high potential for error so these these software programs, what they'll do is either from an API on centralized exchange on the centralized exchanges you're on, or by having your public wallet address, they'll pull all that in and then they'll do a lot of that work for you with okay, what was the value of what you of that tr- the transaction as of that moment in time when you executed it? What were the gas fees? It tries to pull your holding period, all of that stuff. But even the best ones get you like 90% of the way there. Mm. So what we'll what we'll usually have to do is we'll have the client, we'll tell them the, the ones we mostly will recommend is there's Coinly, Coin Tracker. And then if you're using a trading bot or something with a really, really high volume of transactions, there's one called Cointracking.info that seems pretty good and is way, way cheaper than some of the more like mainstream brands Mm -hmm. because the way that they'll charge is based on volume of transactions. So if you've got a bot that's trading a thousand transactions a day or something, it would cost you $10,000 to use Cointracker. It would just be cost prohibitive. So even with those, we'll tell the client, hey, use one of these recommended softwares but then the reports that those generate once they have all the everything input we still have to go through and redline it for where it's it's not picking up cost basis it's not recognizing something it's it's thinking something's a trade that's actually a swap um stuff like that so it's i think as we get more and more the good and the good and the bad is that true crypto zealots hate regulation Mm -hmm. because the whole idea was the sort of anarchists get away from established society and you know traditional financial systems but i think that's the catch-22 of becoming quote-unquote legitimate it's that Mm -hmm. the irs was never a, a thought in the mind of uh, i can't put words in this person's mouth because we don't even know if this person is still alive or not but satoshi when this whole thing was created i assume had no thought of the irs regulating how things are or i guess congress regulating and the irs enforcing how transactions are actually going to be reported and taxed like you were alluding to the whole focus was making sure that there was this digital asset that couldn't be tracked and now we're trying to bring in this air of legitimacy that forces it to be tracked one so that the federal government can make sure that illicit activity is not happening and being funded using crypto, but two, 
so the IRS can hold their hand out and get their first slice. And so it, it, I take your point that it's really tough to try and bring in regulation now on top of that, especially when the best minds in crypto are out there working for the startups who are creating and building products to solve these problems that we're discussing now, not going to work for the federal government to help them figure out how to get up to speed and catch up, you know, 20 years or whatever they're behind on uh, this movement. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think within the crypto community, you're always going to have those holdouts. And it'll be funny when I'm talking to people when I'm in these groups, just as as an investor and crypto enthusiast, these people who realize I'm a CPA and ask, you know, just the whole idea is how to not pay tax. And well, what's the chance the IRS really, you know, is going to going to look at my return where they're just really, you've, you've got that subset that's always going to exist where you know, I'm not paying tax on this government does, doesn't know about this. They don't need to know about that. Th- those people are one committing fraud and two are just going to get absolutely hammered once the IRS gets better with their AI and other things that will help them identify these transactions. But I think there's a growing segment within the the crypto community that that's realizing, you know, regulation is really easy to point to as just being onerous and wasteful and all all these things that people hate, you know, love to hate on red tape. But not only are we seeing with all these crypto scams and different things, the protections that that exist from having a lot of these regulations, but but you're also seeing too that I think. I think people are realizing for crypto to truly have any sort of mainstream adoption, it's going to need to be brought into the fold. It's mm-hmm. it's always going to remain a fringe thing until it it becomes mainstream, and and part of becoming mainstream is is these regulations and paying tax and, and all of that. So I think one of the things that's been interesting to me as I've been in the space and talking to people who or not only investors, but some of them who are running these projects, is that I'm in, I'm increasingly convinced, and this is just my opinion, this isn't a, a tax thing, but that the smaller guys are, as regulation comes down the pipeline and there's going to be costs associated with that, as, th- as it continues, the space continues to mature, I think we're going to see the little guys having a very, very hard time staying in the space Mm -hmm. and these bigger companies. There's going to be a consolidation within crypto where these big companies are the ones who are who are running the show, which, again, kind of goes against the original intent of decentralization. Well, you also have companies. I forget exactly who all has signed on here, but I know for a fact one of them was Charles Schwab and the other one that I'm thinking about is ah geez what's it called um it's the company that stakes uh robin hood the the big fund that stakes robin hood that for some reason is is escaping me but anyway there's like seven or eight giant brokerages that have banded together to create a crypto exchange so that the investors in traditional marketable securities on their platforms like stocks and etfs and mutual funds and everything else can also trade crypto inside of those brokerage accounts Mm -hmm. that is the opposite to your point of what the original crypto founding community had in mind when they saw this as you know the way coming from the occupy wall street movement but that's where we've had to get to in order for it to get stamped as legitimate 
it's now available in your 401k if you have a 401k at Fidelity, as an example. Like those are the things that have to happen for all the positives that everybody has pointed to, like it being a store of value or it being a hedge against inflation or whatever else. Those things can't happen without these stamps of approval, which then degrade the reasons that a lot of people gravitated back in 2009, 10, 11, 12, and wanted to own these assets in the first place. So it's such a catch 22, as you were uh, alluding to. Yeah. And I mean, good or bad, I think we're seeing, I, I think the writing is on the wall where the, where the space is heading unless something big changes, but even just holding crypto right now is kind of a, an unsolved problem because you can either have crypto on a self-custody wallet where you get a physical wallet that, or you use MetaMask or some, something like that, where you, you've got the some keys. Sort of cold storage. It, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's a cold storage where you've got the keys. No one, no, no one can access it. If you lose the keys, they're gone. But so that's obviously been in a lot of ways, the most secure way to do it, but there's risks because if something happens, to those keys, if you lose them, it, it's all on you, good or bad. Yeah. So a lot of people had increasingly been moving towards holding their crypto on, on exchanges. And there were two reasons for that. One was just the ease of having it on a big platform. And the other was that they were paying these kind of uh, unsustainably high deposit rates for they're trying to buy deposits so they'd be paying 10 to 20 percent interest on a lot of these tokens just for parking your crypto there so people increasingly were gravitating towards that to get those yields but then we saw with there were two major exchanges that have declared bankruptcy within the past like three months you had mm -hmm. celsius and voyager and I think specifically with Celsius, when you look at the terms and conditions of how you, you know, you were loaning them your crypto. So it was, un, un, you were an unsecured creditor. So now that they're going through bankruptcy, it's not like they were holding it as a custodian for you the way you would with a traditional security or with an FDIC insured bank or anything like that. So if you've got granny and she says, yeah, I think this bitcoin is going to be big and wants to buy it she's either got to choose a centralized exchange which is way underregulated and could go could go bankrupt and then you just lose everything or she's got to try to navigate self-storage on her own so i think for the growth that p crypto proponents think is there and for the mainstream adoption that people want to be there it's going to have to, it, there's going to have to be more of it becoming mainstream and, yeah. and these, and these traditional investing plat platforms that, that have not only the money, but just the resources and compliance already built in to, to start join, joining in the fray. Well, so sort of to where you were going, right? And I know this wasn't necessarily your point, but this is where my, my brain decided to take it for whatever reason. But where you were mentioning, you know, uh, Granny's got her crypto in cold storage on, you know, a, a thumb drive, right? And I'm thinking about the comparison to if my grandma had passed away and left me a suitcase full of cash, I'd have two options. I'd either walk around with that cash for the rest of my life while I spent it down 
or I would work it into the banking system, negotiate it into the banking system, I guess is the technical term, by making a series of deposits, you know, every so often into the bank to avoid tripping the the uh uh federal uh uh red flags for you know deposits that are too deposits of cash that are too large, right? Um with crypto, as far as I know, and please correct me if 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 I'm wrong here, but I don't believe that there's any guidelines yet for what should happen when a person dies with crypto assets. Like uh, I'm thinking about the fact that if I were to die with a portfolio of Amazon stock, right? My wife or my daughter would take ownership of said stock and step into my cost basis, you know, beginning from the date of my death. And there's that's it. But I don't know that there's a rule like that yet related to crypto that I can, you know, pass that along to my next generation the same way I could cash or gold bars or something similar since it's a digital wallet. Any any uh have you seen anything on that? Am I, I, mean, am I mistaken? On, on, the sur- on the surface, it's going to be taxed the same as, as any other property. So it'll it'll pass on to, to your heirs. You'll get the same step up of basis. What you run into more than anything is just the, the practical component of do your heirs know it exists? How are you storing it? Mm-hmm. Do they know how to access it? Like It could almost be like, and again, this I'm stepping outside my comfort zone, but like, those, you know, the idea of how Cayman Island accounts were in the eighties where you'd have a password. And if you lose the password to it, you can, you can never access those accounts. Um, we, we had a client who passed away and we knew that they had bought a not inconsequential amount of cryptocurrency back in, I want to say it was in like 2015 or something. So it was, it was they they got in really early and it's worth much more now but the widow did not know how much he bought it for where he bought it where it was stored anything and thankfully it ended up being stored on they were able to track it down and it was just being held on a centralized exchange Mm. so she was able to go and present the death certificate the will whatever sort of estate planning documents they have and and get access to it Mm -hmm. but if that client had had that on a cold if he had been really paranoid and had it on a cold storage wallet and had the code saved and you know i don't know some safe that he had buried in his garage or something yeah if if he had made it harder access that money's just gone yeah yeah so that that's what i think people need to be really careful of for their general estate planning is until it's until you can park it in your fidelity account and not have to worry about it and then it's just like the rest of your brokerage that it gets passed on you really want to make sure that your heirs are without them having the keys because then you you could have an exposure and just get hacked being aware of how to retrieve this information so they can retrieve the asset have you guys had many clients come through the door who actually get paid in crypto instead of cash, like whether it's from, you know, an employer or maybe I'm some sort of consultant and it's from a project I completed or something like that. Like how would I even report that income? We've had in limited scope because for us, especially for our crypto clients, we have it to where we say, Hey, shoot us. You know, here's our Bitcoin address for the initial consultation send bitcoin to to this address and 
So oh, like we've seen it all the way bought in. Yeah, I mean, it, it, part of it's just that it's um there's a good synergy with that's what people are already doing and uh, in our marketing, but that that's just for the, there's there's issues with that even. I'd love to just have it to where that's where we're receiving the majority of our of our crypto clients pay us, but there's nothing for recurring payments. Most of our clients are we we have them on a service package where we're meeting with them every quarter to go over everything. And if I get a credit card or their bank account, I can just have it set up on a recurring transaction. I can't do that with crypto. So we'll do that for the initial consultation. So we'll see clients who are being paid that way somewhat, but it's I haven't seen anyone where that's where they're receiving the majority of their of their income. Yeah. But in those cases, it's the same as if you received it, it's mostly the same as if you received a fiat currency. It's whatever okay. you, whatever the value was as of the date you received it. Okay, that's the that's the revenue that you need to count on on your ta- tax return. The thing that you have to run into, and one thing we'll caution clients about a little bit if they're really talking about ramping up how much they're going to payments they're going to receive in crypto is that if you're just planning on receiving it and parking it and leaving it there for 5 years and hoping that it that it goes up in value that's fine but if you're going to need to then you if you're going to need that money to fund operations you're probably better off just converting it imme- immediately to a fiat currency Otherwise, you've got a potential just of a miss, given how volatile the pricing is, you could have a mismatch with what what you are able to actually use versus what you received. You could have gotten a payment of $1,000 of Bitcoin, and then a month later, it's only worth $500, and that's when you sell it, and you've only got $500 to fund your payroll, but you still have to count the $1,000 of revenue because that's what it was worth when you received it, even though you just waited to convert it. This is interesting. I, I hadn't thought about it before. Uh, before I asked you that question about getting paid in crypto, but your answer is making me realize it's very similar to like restricted stock units, right? Getting paid in the form of a security that is worth mm-hmm. what it's worth on the day that it vests and becomes yours, and that's the amount you report to the IRS as far as your uh, income tied to that transaction. Your answer made me realize it's very similar in that way. Um, that I hadn't really put together. But another one I thought about as I was as I was asking you that is is like gifts or rewards. Like I know digital banks are getting creative these days in an effort to lure younger clients, right? Now they're offering crypto rewards cards and such. We even had one of them uh, on the show recently, and I'm thinking if I receive crypto as some sort of fringe benefit from my credit card company or whoever else, do I have to pay taxes on those transactions because if I have something similar with my Amex, the IRS isn't coming after me. Yeah, it's going to be, you're not going to have to pay tax on it because it's for, regardless of of what you're receiving, be it points or cashback or crypto, the IRS looks at those as rebates, not income. So they just look at that as a reduction to the original purchase price and they don't make you pay tax on it. But on those cards, what does get a, a little bit sticky is one if you do 
if you do sell the crypto down the road, there's they haven't issued specific guidance on this yet, but there's very much the potential that then you're going to have a capital capital gain because you're disposing of of an asset at, the, at that point. The other thing is that if you're on a crypto debit card and there's a lot more of those that are coming out where mm-hmm. you fund it's a it's a it's a prepaid card, same as if you were loading it with cash. You load it with your crypto, and then when you swipe, it's just spending the crypto. Well, at least as it stands right now, every one of those swipes is going to be a taxable event. That's going to be a disposition of an asset, and you're going to have a capital gain or a capital loss on it. There's some legislation that at least got proposed a few months ago. I don't think it's gone anywhere where a few members of Congress proposed that if the amount is under two hundred dollars, mm-hmm. so if the the transactions under two hundred bucks, that it's exempt from that, and you don't have to pay, you don't have to report capital capital gains or capital losses, and you don't have to pay tax on it. Um, I think they're going to ha- if they if that does move forward, which I think it would be a very positive thing because otherwise it's just a logistical nightmare that every time you go to starbucks you've got to you've got to keep track of that um i think what they're going to have to do is put some sort of safeguard in there to where it's they look at the aggregate number of transactions over a certain period of time so otherwise you're going to have a bunch of people who are you sell a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, but you do it in batches of $199 for every mm-hmm. single one to avoid the capital gains. Dude, like that, there's so much nuance uh, in, involved in these. And I, as you and I are talking like, and I'm being educated on this in real time, which is, you know, what I really love about this show is having people on who are smarter than than myself and having you like literally expand my knowledge on this in front of the audience um it's making me realize that i didn't even shout out the separate consulting service that you guys offer uh in the beginning when i was teeing this up which is the uh it's making me realize i didn't even like shout out the cryptotaxcpa.com offering that you guys have where like your consulting services and such because as you're talking i'm realizing like everybody's situation has got to be different um, that's probably a place where, you know, you want to find like a person who is equally as versed in this, but then also equally as passionate about it as you like, so obviously are. Um, so before we get ready to wrap, I'll just ask a couple of questions. One, what would be your main message to folks who, you know, own and trade crypto and still aren't sure like how to report transactions and those sorts of things on their, uh, 1040. And I guess my second question is somewhat related where would you direct people who want to get additional information and be able to to have sort of a guide or uh, a, a professional that they can turn to to get access to this information? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the main thing that we'll talk about with people, and this seems and is pretty basic, but it's don't ignore it and actually make sure you're planning for this crypto income throughout the year because i think crypto because it started off as such a fringe thing because it's so new people even people who really like crypto will kind of refer to it as magic internet money it doesn't really feel real most of the time so because of that people don't don't think a lot of people crypto investors are very 
they've got very high risk tolerance usually. So they don't mind if they're going to, if they lose a bunch, that's just kind of part of the game. So they're, they're perfectly willing to, to deal with the, these ebbs, ebbs and flows that it, the stuff doesn't really bother taking these risks doesn't really bother them a whole lot. But part of the problem with that in this really high risk tolerance combined with not thinking it's real is that there's no tax planning that that happens and surrounding it. So last year, crypto's in, in the toilet right now. We've got this bear market crypto winter going on. But last year, people were making crazy money. And a lot of the people who are coming to us now are people who did not plan at all in 2021, had a ton of realized income that they're having to pay tax on. And now that the market has tanked so much, they don't have the money to pay it. Mm. We've, We've had people who have had seven figures worth of crypto income in 2021 come to us, but they reinvested all of it back into the market. And a lot of times they were investing in these altcoin projects and these more, uh, these these riskier projects with high, higher yields, but also mu- much higher risk mm-hmm. to where you made seven figures, but you reinvested all back into this one project. And now the project is down 99% from what it was at its peak. So have people who literally have $500,000 tax bills based on all of their 2021 income, but their portfolio is worth $100,000, Jeez. So there's nothing we can, we can try. There's different things we can try to do to help them. But once the year closes, you lose 90% of your flexibility for, for all of your tax planning. So one of the things we'll one of the reasons we meet with our clients throughout the year and if they're not meeting with us we just tell everybody is make sure you're planning for this in real time make sure if you are having realized gains of any kind or staking income or any sort of taxable event with taxable income make sure you're cashing out at least enough to cover the tax bill because if these people who who had who made seven figures in 2021 had done that Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'd have less of the tokens, and but they'd at least have enough to pay their tax bill. As is, they're going to very likely have to liquidate their whole crypto portfolio and still have a, a tax debt. So even though it's new, even though it doesn't feel real, you are making very real money in this if, if you're successful. So you need to treat it as such and treat it as seriously as you would your business or your regular traditional investing yeah i'm always very surprised when i talk to folks who are crypto investors and they still you know seem like they're not taking the tax part of the conversation all that seriously just yet mm-hmm. and you know the irs has very obviously gotten serious about this since they moved that question all the way up to the top of the 1040 to ask about you owning trading thinking about once maybe possibly owning <laughs> any digital assets whatsoever like they got very specific and vague about that question intentionally and moved it so that right after you finish filling in your name, the very first thing you get to do is say yay or nay, right? So the IRS is obviously very serious about this. So when people don't take the conversation about it seriously, I'm always very surprised. But to your point, folks are so 
risk on in this community that they're just kind of like, let them come. And I'm just like, uh, you know, but uh, anyway, so Mike, I really appreciate you making time to do this, man. You've been extremely generous with your time as well as the good information. Uh, before we let you run, where can people find you if they want more uh, after this goes live, want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about uh, you as an accountant and everything else? Yeah. So if you're a crypto investor, the best way to reach us is going to be at our website, the cryptotaxcpa.com. And if you're just looking for more general guidance on everything, the the book you mentioned at the outset that we published, Decrypting Crypto Taxes, it, the audible version and the print version obviously costs money, but we have that the digital version we have for free on all major retailers. So you can download that at no cost if you're looking for just some some FAQs and some general guidance on things you should look out for. Awesome. Well, on that note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close this out, sir? I would be happy to. This has been such a fun conversation because doggone it, the IRS isn't confused enough as it is. All right. That being said, and please don't come after me. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, for being on the show. Of course, Malcolm, a fantastic show again, as usual. This is mind blowing to me. Um, Mike is brilliant and I learned a ton and I don't own any and I don't think I ever will now because that's scary stuff. All right. Well, again, thank you both. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as this does help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation.